This is a disclaimer. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only, and the concepts that are discussed in this episode have not been fact-checked. Some topics brought up in this episode may be triggering for you, and if you are struggling with mental health issues, then please see a mental health professional. Hello, welcome back to Unhinged, episode three um, with Tessa and Lyra. Uh, my name is Tessa. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland. And yeah, welcome everyone. I can't believe we're at episode three. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so my name's Lyra. I'm a PhD candidate in clinical psychology. I'm also a provisional psychologist. People are kind of catching on to this idea of this that it might be a sustainable thing. That it might, might be a sustainable yeah. thing. I feel like you do one, one podcast and people are like, that was a one off. And then you do a second <laughs> and they're like, Okay. And I can't a, believe these two. I feel like two. you do a third. <laughs> and then it's like, and then I feel like also maybe we're a little bit more at ease now. We know what to, maybe we know a little bit what we're doing. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I think we're getting there, you know. Um, but, but we have an episode coming up today where... It's it's going to be a little bit less clinical as opposed to the first yeah. two, two that we've spoken about. But um, the topic that we wanted to cover today is this idea of personality, personality types, personality yep. characteristics, and all of these tests that are offered in a society like a Myers-Briggs or a Big Five uh, that tell you essentially what your personality is and how you can use those things to your advantage. I mean, I suppose, you know, you might be familiar with them if you've ever gone for certain like graduate roles. Um, a lot of like corporations are starting to use them a lot more, which I kind of don't really like. I don't know. Cause I mean, they're all, they're all like official tests and things, but you might like, if you're in an interview process, it, it's not uncommon these days for them to throw a personality yes. test at you and, yep. and sort of, I guess, like, so that they're looking for certain personality types that will fit their culture. Um, which, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, when you're talking about the different kinds of roles that you go for, I've gone in uh, a couple of years ago, like for retail roles, for example, right. and even then they had a personality test Damn. for an application. I, yeah, I kind of, ha- I kind of hate it in a way and I only only because I think that like personality tests do give you um, and there are very valid and accurate um, reliable tests that we use in psychology like um, for like even like clinical purposes there are mm-hmm. good measures um, but I think at the same time it only provides you ever with like a snapshot it is only self-report information that someone gives you mm-hmm. like and and while it can be accurate to to a bit I think people are so unbelievably complex and when you boil them down to like um, five personality types on a mm-hmm. piece of paper you're you're still losing a lot of information it can still be an accurate measure of like this thing but I don't think it's like that that's my my like opinion anyway. yeah I, I do agree i think that people often uh really cling to this identity of a personality mm. type and i think mm-hmm. we see that with this myers-briggs test which we right. can talk about chances are you have heard of it it's this 16 personality type yeah and, and like enfj enfj infj esp something yeah all the letters there's all these letters that that stand for something within that personality type but i have noticed that a lot of people particularly young people which this personality test i do think is marketed towards yeah because it is the one of the personality tests that's really marketed, which is a reason totally. that it's so big. It's so easily accessible. It's the first one that'll come up if you Google personality tests. 
Yeah. Whereas like valid and reliable, like clinical measures might be, you know, um, you might have to pay to use them like, yes. or like they're not like yes. super easily accessible to the public. Um, they, there definitely are tests out there that you can do um, and pay for and that will give you a much more accurate if you if you did want to do a personality test. But Myers-Briggs is like number one, like the most mm-hmm. uh, – it's so frequently used. And um, I guess to some extent it is – it's not an evidence-based – uh, recommended personality test. Yeah, yeah. Like, and this is what I was saying is like young people in I think young people in particular, but I could be wrong here. It's just something that I've seen that they depend on they they get this label mm. of their personality and then they get this label of other people's personality and they ask for someone's personality like on the on the 16 on the Myers-Briggs and then they say oh okay I understand you now and that's yeah, it yeah 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 and that's yeah. what I'm trying to get to is that yeah. that's wrong that's, that's wrong yeah 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 it's like uh like you can look up the origin of the Myers-Briggs it was like intended to be a, a personality test for like workplaces and things like that but yeah it isn't it isn't the most rock solid and uh, most valid <laughs> test, and we we would don't recommend it. Like giving you an actual, I mean, it's a bit of fun. I, you know, don't not do it. You know, mm. it's not it's not going to give you the opposite information. It's not going to tell you something completely wacko. But it's not um, what we would consider like a accurate or valid measure of your personality. Mm. But um, uh, yeah, I think like people find that a bit of fun because they they feel like they've like oh well like okay cool I've got this like four letter um identity now like uh, and like oh you and i might get along because we're both nfjs yeah yeah you're an i but we like us like i don't know and it's like that's um yeah so in preparation for this episode i actually took this uh test yesterday to remind myself but it came back with it came back with the same thing that always comes back with that you highly disagreed on when i texted you with it yeah 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 so i came back with an infj yeah you're an enfj right and i texted you and you were like you there is no way there's no way there's no way that you are introverted so the (laughs) so the poll like of the the dimension of um the the personality test of the the myers-briggs at least um and this is probably the part that's actually quite accurate i would say like because introversion extroversion is quite easy to measure it is Um, and it's it's been very well validated yeah it's like you copy that scale most people know in like innately like if they lean towards more introversion or extroversion as well like it's a quite a it's a very solid easy thing to like measure Mm. um so uh i'm a so when you're an extrovert it means that you are like gain energy and um you enjoy the company of other people and that energizes you makes you feel really good you like being around other people um and if you're an introvert you gain a lot of energy and um uh, satisfaction out of being more alone mm. and being with other people drains you a bit. Mm. So I guess like it could be like sort of um, fluid as well. You're not like binary, like one or the other. Yes. And there's also ambiverts that are in the middle of the scale. There you go. Yeah. yeah. People can have like, yeah, it's a spectrum, yeah. right? So you can fall anywhere in between there. Mm-hmm. So I am an like a super extrovert. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm becoming more introverted as I get a bit older mm-hmm. um, and I'm slowing down a bit. Um, but the, uh, you came back with like 
introversion, right? And solid introversion. So not so even like not ambivert, like no, boom, not straight. an ambivert. Actually, what I've noticed, I've taken these tests like out of high school, and it came back with extroversion or even ambivert a couple of times. But as I'm getting older, it's like a ninety percent introvert. Right. It's not even close to the middle or extroversion. Right. And I do see that in my behavior in life. Mm. But I think that it definitely doesn't show. No. In- well, I think this is where like we sometimes confuse like shyness and like anxiety yeah. with introversion. Because introverts don't have to be like I think when we think of an introvert, we think of someone who is, like, terrified of talking to other people, which is not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, yes, I, mean, I would say if someone's, like, highly socially anxious and they enjoy their own company a lot more, they're probably more likely to be an introvert. Mm-hmm. But you can have introverts that really do, like, enjoy their own company, get a lot of energy from that. Mm-hmm. Other people drain them a lot. But when they're um, out doing, like... Uh, like when you're working with people you're like very active like uh, you know I wouldn't consider you like a shy person or like socially anxious at all but and so I think that's where like in in um that's where like the two constructs are like not lining up in and in my head I was like wait really really like (laughs) but when I think about it right you do a lot of like things on your own and like um you know you enjoy like working um out out of the office as well like in in your own (laughs) you you know I whereas I like I'm very like I need to be in the office and I need to be like around people to like do work and stuff whereas you really enjoy like okay I need my peace and I need to be away from all these people yeah I can't (laughs) concentrate around people I think that that's uh, that's definitely another thing, but surely it's it's got to be related to introversion and yeah, some sort of. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, oh, I mean, you're like that's why I guess if you're at at peace and a lot mm. of comfort is by like being alone, mm. Mm. whereas I'm at peace and at comfort when I'm like at a rave. Yeah, like <laughs> not a rave, but like a um. Uh, you know, around people, I, I yeah. enjoy that. And if I'm alone for too long, then I start to get a bit like, who can I annoy? You know? Yeah. Like, I need to, yeah. I need yeah. to talk to someone. See, um, oh, I'm so happy being alone. I oh. love being alone. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I have my set of very close friends that I keep very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And I go to them when, like, I need something or when they need something, they can come to me. And I welcome that. But the the thought of being in a group, for example, in a group dynamic, mm-hmm. like uh, there is to me in a group dynamic, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible leader. I am a terrible communicator in a group dynamic. It, it's just something that doesn't work very well with with me unless I put on unless I mentally prepare myself unless like for example if, it, if it's like a mental health group I can most definitely put on that facade and right. um and if I have a script to go by or in a meeting for example I can put it on and work with it if it's a planned thing but if we end up in a group of people like if we're end up in a group of people in the office for example of like 10 people I'm extremely uncomfortable now that I now that I do think about it like more intently like yeah I haven't often seen you like be around like or chase up a big group of people um (laughs) but yeah but but you do say that it's like oh I I like but I think at the same time like you I would I would nominate you as a leader like if we were going to yeah and I think that's all that's got something slightly different to do with like personality 
traits, but I think also like people who don't want to be in charge usually are the best people to be in charge. Well, this is the thing, right? Is okay. So we're looking at the the Myers Briggs, and yes, there isn't there isn't a lot of validity to it, but there is an ENFJ and an INFJ. Yeah. Okay, so inherently we're supposed to be the same on three different sets of characteristics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for the extroversion and the introversion. When I looked up an ENFJ, apparently that it like leadership is the main quality that separates us. So like you're supposed to be a fantastic leader. Right. And I have seen that. I have seen that. <laughs> they, to an extent, I think like um, I enjoy like rounding people up to do office drinks or like, you know, you know what I mean? Like leading the group to, to do something social. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to like, and, you know, maybe or doing something fun collectively if I was going to organize a, like, a, uh, I don't know, like, a party or something like that. Like, that, those social things, like, I do like being the, like, mum yeah. of that. That's okay. But yeah. but when it comes to, like, positions of, of power and I have to, like, lead a, uh, people for work um, and, 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 and there's no power dynamic, so, like, I'm leading people who are on par with me that's scary and I get very anxious and stressed mm, mm. out by that so it, but you can already see that Myers-Briggs there like that definition is like already taken differences in just one dimension which is introversion extroversion and automatically assumed like I would be a good leader and you would not mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. and I think that's a really that's mm -hmm. like a dangerous take this is where Myers-Briggs is like I don't think a good idea because yes. it really does depend again like I don't mind rounding up the girls for Friday margaritas that's yes. fine I'm yes. very happy to be the leader there but it's way more nuanced like but I really don't think I'm a great leader I don't deal well under work pressure very well when I'm instructing other people yeah so then no whereas I would like I actually would put you in a position I would nominate you because I feel like you handle stress a lot better than me and so I think you would thrive under a situation where you had to lead a group of people for work mm. i don't know mm. anyway i, I think that's sort of that terrifies me but i mean i think you'd hand, i think the outcome would maybe result in less of a breakdown well <laughs> so you know that that observation that you've just made yeah okay so i've been listening to a podcast about my personality type uh, this is like a Myers-Briggs podcast and I mean I like you might experience this as well if you like look at your results of a Myers-Briggs or listen to like a podcast about your particular personality type I've like never been more offended but also <laughs> just I didn't relate to a lot of the things that people are saying in this podcast and right. I do think that they are personality researchers I think that they do have a, an idea of what they're talking about but there's certain aspects of it where I was like this isn't my lived experience whatsoever right there's certain things that they said where I'm like oh I could totally relate to this this is this is incredible but there's other things that they said that and it was it didn't describe my experience it just simply did not mm. so so what i'm trying to say by that is take it with a grain of salt yeah you know? yeah yeah totally like it doesn't it, it's it's just providing like one like two-dimensional like layer of like okay this is maybe like a ballpark of you but you are 
you are so much more complex than that than like some self-report items on a, on a scale you are like a human being that reacts in like so many different contexts it's just measuring one context when it's doing that so it's, it can give you an idea but it isn't it isn't perfectly descriptive and, and you might find it's like oh you might find yourself thinking like I am an extrovert in these particular situations but in these particular situations I think of myself as an introvert mm. and like that's so that's that's humans like the humans are so complex and like you can sort of lean more one way than the other but yes. again like it isn't like you know we don't we shouldn't walk around um walk around the world with like infj like plastered <laughs> on your forehead and being like this is who i am because you are way more yeah. uh, multifaceted than just than just that Most and and that's the other thing too so like like you were saying like this podcast that's taking you know um uh, myers-briggs personalities and and talking about them quite in depth again it's just like one test and like making all these extra judgments on who this person is mm. now we're starting to get into like horoscope land almost mm. it's like this is kind of who you are this is who you need to be and like even some myers-briggs yeah. ones do get a little bit horoscopy where they start telling you how you should behave based on your personality type which i uh, i really love how you just related that to this idea of horoscopes because horoscopes mm. is kind of the like it, it's almost like the uh woo woo baby of personality it is yeah tests and, and it's entirely you who yeah. you are. and it's entirely made up it is entirely, <laughs> it is entirely made, made up they've up. done they've done tests where like people have all received in the same room all received a horoscope that's like this is like related to your star sign does it relate to you and everyone in the room has been like yep 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 absolutely and they all received the same like yep. prediction yep. so yeah and they were all like no this is very unique to me right now um and so it taps into <laughs> that that's just, kind of predatory i've beef with horoscopes i mean if that if that gives you some sort of comfort and you like are into star signs and stuff that's great but there is no evidence like behind the yeah. the um the existence of like horoscopes or them being accurate at all mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah so it's like the i think that's where like personality trait tests can go a bit wrong is when people try and like overly predict who you are and what your life is going to look like because of this one test. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that um, it can go wrong where people really even know that that's not their human experience. They try and morph, morph their, their perception mm. and attach it to certain labels within that personality right. test. And then yeah. as soon as they start to relate to them, they might then kind of walk around everyday life thinking that uh, like oh i can't behave this way because i'm a label so, right. so, so now, now self-fulfilling prophecy now now you've got a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. where where the personality test is or your personality outcomes on that test are determining how you're behaving everyday mm -hmm. life in everyday life who you're interacting with mm -hmm. those sorts of things absolutely yeah so that's this probably like Again, if you are going to do a personality test, know that it's just like a little snapshot mm. of who you might be, but shouldn't dictate your life. Shouldn't dictate who you're friends with either, because that's another thing too. Is like, be like, oh yeah, it does. I'm an ENFJ, therefore I should hang out with these kinds of people. I see that on Reddit a lot. It's like, um, yeah, uh, oh so and so i've just got like i've started a new relationship and they just happen to be an istp what do i do that's, <laughs> it's like no that's yeah <laughs> i have had that for the last like uh, i don't know over 10 years with my partner right we've been so we're like high school sweethearts and 
he's a Taurus and I'm an Aries and we're right. meant to be like the worst, most incompatible couple. I'm an Aries too. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so we're meant to be like super incompatible and we've been together for a very long time. <laughs> Smooth sailing. We've yeah. got a baby. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Damn. But like, uh, yeah. Okay. Do other people like ask you what your star sign is? Yeah. A lot of, uh, uh, oh, Yes. like, <laughs> and so they go. Oh, you're an Aries. Like, I'm gonna run away from you. Yeah, so just absolutely. A- Aries is this weird, like, uh, like stereotype, I guess, of being like aggressive or something like that. Uh, like, I see Aries as like, yeah, like a fire emoji. Right. Like boom. Like yes. explosive. Right. Absolutely. I just feel like th- this is the thing, though. This is where horoscopes annoy me because. You could describe anybody as like that. <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah, and then and then when you meet someone who happens to be who would describe as like extremely cool, calm, and collected, they just like and it's like oh well, I'm an Aries and I'm, uh, you know, and then there's there's people that'll say oh well like oh, you know, you're not explosive in this way. And then they'll make a justification for it. It's like maybe you're explosive in like mm. other ways. And it's kind of like. You make justifications for horoscopes. That's the problem. Yeah. um, And you kind of readapt it to make it fit yourself. That's, yeah, that's my beef with horoscopes anyway. And also to some extent personality tests because, yeah, people start to then act the way they think they should based Mm. on this test. Mm -hmm. Also, I do think the one area where it might be beneficial is if you do look at the way that you might behave in, like, a workplace or something yeah. because because if you hone in on your strengths then right. you can really well yeah sort of so a personality test could yeah highlight like where, what what your strengths might be mm-hmm. which can be really useful in in that regard so yeah, yeah there is definitely benefit to like understanding yourself um uh and maybe doing one of these tests especially mm. yeah and to look at where you can improve on uh, a real validated um, personality mm. test, which is called the Neo Big Five. Um, yep. You might have heard of the Big Five personality traits. Um, so there is uh, introversion, extroversion. There's um, uh, what is there now? Neuroticism. There's neuroticism. Yeah, introversion, extroversion, conscientiousness, conscientiousness, openness, openness and uh, agreeableness. Yeah. So. The, those you can do tests that like assess where you're at on those axes or those mm-hmm. dimensions mm-hmm. and within those big five personality traits there's like sub constructs as well it gets like quite complex so you know yes. like i if you're someone who is so me for example i've i've done a one of these personality tests before i'm quite agreeable i'm very agreeable actually um I fall like above the 85th percentile, which is, you know, a very small tail of the Mm -hmm. population for agreeableness. And that agreeableness is like um, your tendency to like, to like harmony and to keep harmony when you're, when you're talking to someone, you, um, Mm. so people who are agreeable can be very friendly, Mm -hmm. like, and, and likable. Um, and they like harmony. They don't like making arguments. They like the group mm. to kind of flow and they, mm. they but the, the cost of that being too agreeable might mean that you're kind of a pushover. Mm. And so you might, uh, people in a group might be saying something that you don't agree with, but because you value the harmony 
um, of that, you can sort of just go along with it, even though you're going against your own values, which can be a bad thing about agreeableness. But it's a good thing in a lot of ways because people like working with you. If you're highly agreeable, you're typically quite friendly. People gravitate towards you. You know, mm-hmm. people will listen to you. If you're too agris- de- uh, disagreeable, maybe you're very in line with your values, but no one wants to work with you because yeah. you are so argumentative yep. and you are so like. People it's are, my way or the highway. Yeah, yeah. and like bossy and like uh, that. Very type A. <laughs> very, very, very type A, yeah. So the um, so basically if you do one of these personality tests, they can point you in the, right, in the right direction. So for me it was like, oh, I'm very agreeable. I'm almost too agreeable and maybe that's something I can work on, not in not like being less friendly but working on voicing my own opinion a little bit assertiveness, more assertiveness right but yeah being more assertive so that i'm not a pushover yeah because the consequence of being a bit of a pushover is that you become resentful later mm-hmm. on and like quite bitter mm-hmm. um and so it can so that's where like a personality test has been really beneficial for me being yeah. like ah because you can work if you're on one extreme of the of one of the personality traits you can sort of work to try it's you know you're not stuck there mm-hmm. it isn't like who you are forever and you are likely going to change as your life goes on but it can give you an idea of like maybe where you should where you can try and improve in your life this isn't fact checked but right as a side note yeah with that big five I swear, I swear it was someone of a high status who taught us the big five that said this. Apparently, (laughs) and you know the person that I'm talking about, apparently the big five, you can't actually take it until you're about 25 years old because that is when your personality is concrete. Right. That's when your personality actually sets. I don't don't know about that. Well, I mean... I don't remember anybody saying that to me, but, but what I would say is that that isn't what we do know about like adolescence at least is that there's a rapid tumultual stage of finding your own identity. Yes. So there's a lot. And like, there's a reason that, um, I mean, you know, that the teenagers are often not diagnosed with personality Mm -hmm. disorders, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't until you're 18. Until you're 18. Right. So you're like, uh, because there's a lot of, it's, I guess there's so much change going on that it might not be a valid snapshot of who you Mm -hmm. are just yet Mm -hmm. when you're, I don't know about 25. I know that that's like, that's like the 25 is the um, rate at which your brain is apparently supposed to be finished developing and your prefrontal cortex is fully on. So it doesn't make like no sense at all, but Mm -hmm. I don't know again. Yeah. And, And then that opens up room for like a very philosophical conversation when is your personality set right like who who and are who you are you and i guess at the same time you know like i mean you probably could like you can take the test when you're a bit younger i guess yeah. you know, as a teenager but just understand that it could change in your person you might very well become a totally different person by the time you're 25 mm. so it'd be mm. worth taking again um when you're a bit older and like and see how much how many things have changed um and so uh, but I also think, like, if you take it a bit too young as well, then you, you young people are quite susceptible to, like, identity labels and stuff yes. like that. So yeah. I can see it being quite harmful um, in, in to a certain extent of, of teenagers being a bit more like, well, this is who I am, so I'm going to behave this way. Mm. And then allowing mm. that to shape their personality rather than then, then them shaping their own personality. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So talking about this idea of the self and like identifying with labels, and this is more of a philosophical perspective, but if anyone's into a guy or knows of a guy called Sam Harris, he's got his own podcast called Waking Up with Sam Harris, but he's also, or sorry, Making Sense with Sam Harris, I believe is his podcast, but he has also written a book that is largely largely philosophical uh but it is backed by a lot of research i didn't fully get through the book to be fair because it was a very in-depth philosophical argument that i personally just didn't have didn't have time to understand didn't necessarily want to understand but he talks about this idea of the self and how it essentially doesn't exist he thinks that the self is something kind of that that is that we've made up. So he, he uses examples, right. Of like having like, where, like, can you pinpoint where you experience the self or this, this thing called the eye, he calls the it eye. the yeah. eye. So like, who am I? And he, he goes out to try and essentially prove that that eye doesn't necessarily exist mm. in a number of ways. Mm. So, I mean, you're a self researcher. Yeah. What do you have? <laughs> <laughs> not, not so much in the, like the philosophical sense, but like people, I study like egocentric cognitions and like how self related stuff can affect cognitions on some, like less a philosophical level, more like a attention, um, and memory level. But, um, but the way I think about it, and again, this is more a, and I haven't, I haven't read this book. I probably should read this book. Sounds interesting. Um, and, but I have had arguments with people before about like the premise of the self mm. and, um, the way I see it at least, and this is just like a Tessa Clarkson opinion, right? So just, again, not fact checked. And I don't think anybody knows the true answer to this either, but the human, um, the human body is made up of so many different systems and your brain is so unbelievably complex. You know, you're at, at all in like right now, your heart is the, your brain is making your heartbeat. Your brain is, um, uh, telling your digestive system to like work on digesting breakfast. It's, uh, your brain is telling your limbs to move. Mm -hmm. Um, your brain is conducting your entire nervous system. Um, your brain is also thinking about several different things you need to do today my brain right now is thinking about what I'm going to say next. It, there's, so, there's so many things going on. And if you were to conceptualize all of those systems working and you, instead of thinking of yourself as one person, you thought of yourself as just like a system of multiple moving parts. I think your brain would break. I think, I don't think it's, I think it's a, an easy way to think of ourselves by imagining the self as like a, uh, what's referred to as like a ghost in the machine. So a lot of you might think about, okay, like your body is not you, right? Well, if you think about where the self is, I imagine me driving my body as if mm. it were a car, right? Mm. This is my vessel and I live inside of it. The I mm. live somewhere in maybe my heart and my brain. There's this, and obviously like, you know, that might, that might be incorrect. Like, like a, a Sam Harris might be saying, it's like, you know, that, doesn't actually exist, but I think it is an easy way for humans to conceptualize themselves for survival. Because again, if you were to try and understand and fathom everything happening at once, it might not be efficient, but thinking of yourself as one, oneself, 
that's efficient. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so that is why I think the self is important. And it's also good for your well-being to imagine yourself as Mm. like uh, some someone or something that needs to be taken care of, right? And instead of just being like, I'm just this body and I'm just this organism, um, I'm just reacting to stimuli, which which is true, but like. I think humans have so much higher order complex thinking that we need to stick to an identity Mm. or the self to cling on to something. Yeah. I think we need it for survival. And I think without it, we start like we deteriorate. I think that's where a lot of like, you know, and then you can, uh, you talk to different clinicians about this. This is why when you go to therapy, they try and pinpoint what your values are. They try and like, yeah, put the self back together and yeah. say like, yeah. who are you though? Because that allows you to be quite robust um, against the world and it stops you from becoming so so depressed because you don't know who you are and whatever. I don't know. I, I think that it's actually like treading a fine line because in meditation, uh, for example. You try, you try and teach this this idea of like just watching your thoughts go by, right? Just watching your and that can involve identity thoughts, for example, of mm. who you actually are, and this i this idea of um, hinging or clinging onto an identity uh, can be really detrimental in terms mm. of the, the way that you function if the identity that you're clinging onto is very maladaptive or a thought that you're clinging onto is very maladaptive. For example, right. that if you think that the world is dangerous and you hold on to that thought and you don't see that thought as a thought, but you see that thought as dictating a whole lot of feelings and behaviors, you're mm-hmm. going to uh, go through everyday life essentially doing things that yeah. are not going to benefit you in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're getting some sort of instant gratification by fulfilling yeah. that particular that particular thought, right? Like you're getting some sort of satisfaction by thinking that if the world is dangerous, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to bed. I'm gonna sleep in bed. Your brain is reinforced instantly because you do have an instant feeling of comfort. However, ultimately, that's not going to serve you because you can develop right. depression, for example. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, while you might be physically – that goes back to us what we said on the last episode is that your brain doesn't care about making you happy. It cares about survival. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where sometimes, like, yeah, negative thoughts and beliefs about the world can be, like, harming because if they're just thoughts and they're not based in, like, actual fact, yeah, then they can – yeah, and you, you start living by them, they can make you – miserable mm-hmm. yeah mm. so so it, it's kind of to me it's treading a fine line between right. it, and this is so the more that i talk about it the more i realize how difficult this concept is to like so the, grapple with and maneuver right. around your kind of everyday world because say you do have a higher order self and there's lots of meditations that say like get you to picture your higher order self or like right. your kind of higher self in this form and and you can picture like what this person looks like how they behave blah 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 yeah then you could also argue that well you're creating an ideal self that might not actually be realistic for you to achieve in your form true but you can live towards it you know you can you can start behaving in 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 the same way that if you had a belief that the world was a terrible place um and you might start believing that and manifesting that and then seeing evidence of the world being terrible and terrible and then Mm. because you're sort of reinforcing that every day 
and then you can live by that idea and then feel terrible about the world mm. you know and uh and and to some extent yeah the world is a, a terrible place but the world is also a very beautiful place yeah and you can and there's there's also something absolutely incredible about each individual person like the odds of humans existing are just so rare mm-hmm. and the odds of a particular individual like you or i existing is like like we shouldn't be here i mean yeah. I've, I've heard like neil degrasse tyson talk about this it's like it's like not even one in a million. It's like one in mm. not even a zillion. It's it's just such a like a small odd that you are even here right now in this moment as as a human being. And I think every single human should feel like they are valuable and special, mm. and you know have this. And everybody has like um, can have like an ideal to to move towards, and that can create like fulfillment and can um, inspire people to, to do well in their lives. And when people do well in their lives, they feel happy and it makes the world a better place. Yeah. It isn't even just for them and, and making them feel good. It actually makes the world a better place yeah. when people yeah. live by, um, by positive, strong values. Yeah. It is comforting in a sense to know that you are a special human being, that you have a unique purpose in life, yeah. and that no matter what you're going through right now, yeah there is something there is something positive to come there is kind of that absolutely you do have something to bring into the world i think it is almost a crime to not allow yourself to 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 thrive and in and and to see yourself as valuable Mm. i think that's a that's a it's it actually really it upsets me so much when i if i see someone who thinks very poorly of themselves Mm. doesn't believe that they add value to the world is doesn't know who they are i think it's it's it really is a is a crime and Mm. i think because every single person has so much potential and so much so many good things yeah like you said like your life does impact other people's lives as well and Mm. like it adds so much value to the world when Mm. you know who you are and you live by those values um and yeah. not the values that the world puts on you absolutely this term's called fusing so it's this term where you're uh, like clinging onto a certain characteristic of your identity or personality and then you are creating that mm. philosoph- that uh self-fulfilling prophecy oftentimes through that and when you fuse to or cling on to something bad like obviously that's going to generate a number of negative emotions throughout your day-to-day but uh, I guess I guess understanding that your personality is fluid your values you know they change over time Mm, your personality mm. I think you know you might have a certain set of characteristics that are there that are going to be there for the rest of your life and that may have been there since early childhood however there's a lot of things around that that are very fluid and Mm. so and so fusing onto negative thoughts and emotions and believing that that's part of your personality like that's just that's just not true you know that that you can form you can form a different identities and you can form you can understand yourself as like a context in the context that you're in instead of understanding yourself as uh this concept of a person right because that can lead into negative 
uh, kind of clinical consequences, for example. If you're if you're fusing yourself to this idea of like a concept of like uh, for example, a type A academic and that you have to feel right. fulfill that in every way, shape and form. Yes. You know, it, it helps, it is healthy to try and detach from that in right. a number of ways. Because you are fluid. I see what you took what you yeah, mean so, yeah. you know, in the in the uh, sense where you um, I used to do this a bit when I was in high school because I, I was quite good at art, right? Like I'm quite quite good at drawing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I I think I hinged that on my identity. And when I didn't achieve th- a good grade in art, mm. like when I was criticized, um, I it shattered me. Like it really yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a good feeling and it was like um and I had a friend at the time that told me she's like you're not Tessa that does art. You're Tessa. Like it's okay. Yeah. You're, you you're bad at this one thing. It's this content. It's like you can. And so if you if yeah you hold on to this um is it like a maybe I'm getting the word wrong here but schema or this yes art, you can hold on to a schema, a schema absolutely this, like a, some sort of ideal that this is who I am I must fit this in every single context yeah and when yeah. I don't it means that I failed mm. or that I'm bad mm. which then triggers like shame mm. and so that is that is important to remember is that like you can still say oh I I am tessa and i'm quite good at this particular thing but i'm not perfect at it and i'm mm. not always going to be in some days i'm going to do an art piece that kind of sucks and, yeah, and that is like yeah. very that's very very normal and but i i was so and like you said with the type a personalities it's like if people who who have um, received so much positive reinforcement from scholastic achievement in their in maybe high school and then they come to university and the context is different and they struggle well, then all of a sudden they must feel like there's something wrong with them. Mm. There's something wrong with me because I'm meant to be good at academia mm-hmm. and I've come to university and I just failed my first subject. Like maybe I'm a terrible person. It's like mm. that's not – that that can create so much shame and so much um, so so much harm, you know, and, and, and that's yeah. why I think self-compassion should come in because it is – Again, it goes back to it's like such a crime for you to feel that way. It's so, so wrong and it, and it sucks because the world will actually allow you to feel that way too. Yeah. The be- world isn't going to come in and say, actually, no, Lyra, like you're actually a good person. No, the world will sit there and be like, well, maybe you are terrible at academia. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. because that's how, for example, like if you really want to go there, I feel like that that's how capitalism thrives for example if you have if you have people who have relentless standards let's take academia as as an example if you have academics who have a certain relentless standard for their work that relentless standard is probably going to drive really good robust research that is going to get published in higher impact papers that's going to yeah. be disseminated in very reputable conferences right. for they, example they don't care about the mental the, well-being of that person no yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. not yeah. absolutely not and and so that's ultimately going to drive a university and the amount of profits that they're making right because that's just yeah that's just one dimension that it sort of cares about it's like yeah so the um yeah so the, the, the yeah that's exactly right the world that we live in at least is um is not very concerned with it's okay if you exist and think oh well i'm just a terrible person because i i clearly i came to university and i failed a few subjects therefore i must be a piece of crap you know and then mm. the, the world isn't going to correct that for you you have to correct that the world won't the, the world will let you believe that 
Mm. Um, the world will let you believe that you're an INFJ or an ENFJ. The world will let, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and other people will reinforce that. And so it is so important. It is critical that you have your own values and that you know who you are so that you can fail comfortably mm. and say, that's a mm. bummer that mm. I failed. But I am not stupid or bad and I am actually quite capable of doing this. I just... I just didn't tick the boxes this time. Mm. And then there is room for improvement. Cause I actually, I think failure is a wonderful thing in a way. Like it is, it, yeah. t- it teaches yeah. you so you can learn so much more from failure than you ever can um, from success. So I think mm-hmm. like it is, and any, any super successful person will tell you about the, like, you know, they'll tell you underneath the success, there's been a lot of like failed attempts, you know, but yeah, absolutely. Um, and so no one has a linear path in life. Yeah, but super successful people kind of know who they are too. Like mm. truly mm. successful people, unless they got there by like luck or, or someone else bankrolled them. But like I think that a lot of truly mm-hmm. successful people mm-hmm. have values and they understand who they are and they have self-compassion. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree on that. I mean there's there's lots of there's lots of examples like that. Like for for me, for example, like there's I, this was, this was an old thing, a very old thing, but I used to fuse on like, uh, like for example, like social media and getting like to a certain status right. on social media. Uh, this was a really long time ago now, but this is when, this is when I like was like trying to be a com- content creator. And when I was, gotcha. yeah, yeah, I say influencer in the, in the most, uh, inverted commas because I think it's such a cringe term and I don't want to refer to myself okay. to yeah. that term, <laughs> but essentially that's what it was. Right. Yeah. And so there's what I noticed and, and you might relate to this is that when you take away what you're trying to, to achieve. So I deleted all social media. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of negative emotions and sensations that came out after that point, because you, you start to kind of grapple with the idea of like, of like, well, what am I without this kind of particular accolade? So like, and that made me realize Mm. that process and what was going on in that head in my head. So for example, if you're someone who's struggling to, to, uh, find out who you are or find out your values, if they are, if you're not, uh, I guess if they're not, if they're related to a, to a con, conceptual thing to an ideal conception like academia yeah like for example uh, if you're if you're a really high status lawyer mm-hmm. is another good one it's like well take that away yeah. then who who, who, who are you are beyond you? that who are you beyond absolutely that? and that is something that a lot of people don't take the time to do right and they they wouldn't know and, and yeah going back to the world won't set that up for you there yeah. is no you yeah. know like um if you ever want to read or identify values, I highly recommend like Brene Brown as like um, someone who she's an emotions researcher. And mm. the, her books are very centered around identifying your values. Yeah. I love her work. And but one, I think the thing is, is like the values that I've identified, and you should just have a couple. You don't need like yeah, a list yeah. of like 10. You just yeah. need a couple. Um, is so for me, my uh, one of my biggest values is courage. Mm. and bravery because now you can strip away everything from me but you could never strip away like the courage or bravery to face Mm -hmm. emotional adversity or some sort of difficulty Mm. and like the bravery to do it and and to be vulnerable and then to to be like I'm not sure how this is going to go but I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to see how I go and every time that I'm being brave 
regardless of the context. Now you can strip away everything from it. You could take away my PhD. You could take away, um, you could take away my, uh, like, I guess I don't have a large net worth, but you could take away all my money. You could take away everything. And then I, and then I could be, you could strip all that away from me, but you can't take away my courage or bravery yeah. to face, yeah. to face difficult things. And that is something I can hold dear to my chest. And like, I can fail a number of times, but I have the bravery to get back up and try again. And that's like such an important value to me. And having that has made life a lot easier because it's made it more comfortable for me to then, receive any sort of rejection relating mm, to like academia mm. right because we've, we've talked about academia or achievement as being like something people hinge their self-worth on so for me now when i do something incorrect or i don't understand something or i receive any sort of rejection that's okay because i i understand because i can flip the script and say I was brave enough to mm. give it a go and I'm so proud of myself for giving that a go. Yeah. I didn't do well yeah. and I failed, but that's okay. But now I know something that's see, that's such a real, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Yeah. And, and like, I, I get how, um, I get how that's, it's super comforting. Right. And like in, I've never done it in Brene's, Brene Brown's context. Right. Um, but I know like Russ Harris, like he kind of in, invented a, like a very big therapy that we call acceptance and commitment therapy. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that's, um, if you're interested, there's so many free resources on it. And that's his book called the happiness trap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he sort of was one of the first people to pose like, here are your set of values. Um, and here is how you can live a life that fulfills those values and not, some specific goals that yeah. you've attained yeah. based on a, like a conceptual self, right? right? Which is yeah. which sounds like exactly like what Brene Brown's talking about. Yeah, yeah, you're fulfilling values, and and it's not to say that goals aren't goals are good. Goals are good. Like you know, that's okay. Goals are great. Yeah, because also the um, you know that that's why I like courage because courage still you know it's still uh, a brave and courageous thing to do to try and and achieve intense academic achievement, right? Like doing a PhD, there's a lot of courage and bravery that goes into that. Like, mm. so putting, setting goals for myself is also a form of like bravery, but, it's, yeah. but, they, but they're now interlinked, but I don't, I don't do a PhD because it's a PhD, right? Mm. I do it because it, it's interesting and it makes it, it, I love learning. Learning is another one of my values. Education is another one of my values. I value that. Yes. And so it's an avenue to fulfilling my values rather than to just getting a PhD so that it looks impressive. You just, yeah. you just highlighted a really important thing in, right. in terms of when you said it is, it is something where I fulfill it's something I do to fulfill my values. Right. The goals the fulfill goal, feed in. Yeah. 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 Because it's like if you're doing a PhD as as it can be a short-term goal, but if you're doing a PhD as if your value is a PhD, right? You're gonna have a difficult time it's, in life. Yeah, that's hard <laughs> because like anything now that goes wrong with it is gonna is hinging on your values and it's like, well maybe yeah. Like it's starting to hurt you. So, but if you externalize it a little bit and be like, this is just one thing I do that helps me fulfill values because it helps me, you know, people got to tinker on something, right? Whether it be like, 
you know, they work on their um, their yeah. career or they yeah. work on having a family or they do Definitely. both. Or blah, blah, blah. You've got to do something. You've got to occupy your, yourself somehow. Um, yeah. And there's so many different ways of doing that. But they, but it should all link back into your values. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, that, that that's it, right? Like, one yeah. of my values as well is, like, I just want to be a good person. I want to kind of mm. have something contribute positive things to this life um and yeah help other people helping others is a very big value of mine yeah. and so no matter what i'm doing whether that's oriented in my family whether that's oriented in uh trying to show something uh, in my clinical work or practice with people it's always fulfilling that value in yeah. some way or i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is i try to fulfill that value by going through life totally a lot of aspects of my life trying to be a good person right yeah you know? yeah yeah absolutely like it's and and the, it's the fact that you're moving in that direction that's fulfilling those yes. values you know it could be you might um something might happen and you might have to not practice for a while maybe it cl clinically or whatever but, yeah but yeah. like that's okay because you haven't hinged your self-worth on like being a therapist being or a being therapist, a psychologist. exactly but you but you one of your values is helping people so you give it the best go you can and then life when life gets in the way and you have to stop for a while um due to due to whatever reason you don't have to feel like your values have been hurt yeah i yeah. can just yeah i can just be a good friend because, yeah like you know that's yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so totally. so yeah again wrapping that up really important to make a distinction between yourself as a concept so that idea of you kind of fusing onto a certain personality mm. characteristic or uh, a certain accolade or like kind of a higher order self that is just, I guess, hinged on something that's not going to drive you in life, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and instead trying to diffuse that yeah. and detach from that and form a set of values to live to live by because I think one important distinction between values and goals is that you can never fulfill a value you can never truly achieve a value yeah, you don't like you graduate from it it's a lifelong from a value it's yeah a lifelong yeah. thing so if you have a set of lifelong values you can go through life in its entirety trying to feel them. absolutely that's that's the other thing too like because the thing is you can finish a goal like so a P, like I, I was talking to a friend the other day who finished his phd and um and brilliant guy and he was like but he's in this lull now between like phd and like getting a job yeah it's like and it's yes. like what do i do yeah. <laughs> and so you see you know like I, and i don't doubt that i you know, to some extent I'll, I'll feel that way but it's like that's you know and um uh and I'm not, I don't think my friend is experiencing this to this extent, but the, if you do hinge your entire self-worth on the PhD and even when you achieve it and you might do really well and that's okay. When you finish though, <laughs> you need to, you're like, well, what's mm. my purpose now? That can, mm. that could be really like, mm -hmm. now what do I do? Like I've run out of purpose. And it's like, that's not true because your values, if you, if you go back to them and, and you form values that are like learning and, and courage or like mm. helping others, mm. that doesn't have to stop after your PhD. Now, now how else can you um, fulfill those values? You need to find another way of doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like you finish PhD, move on to a next phase of your life that helps you fulfill those values. But, um, but yeah, goals end whether or not you achieve them or you fail them, they, they, they are short term. Mm -hmm. Values are with you for life. 
Yeah, and if you're really interested in identifying your values um, and what they are, again, we've got resources like from Brene Brown, which I'll let you speak about. Uh, but there's the there's a helpful exercise from Russ Harris from Acceptance and mm. Commitment Therapy called the Bullseye. Right. Um, the Bullseye, and it's like two uh, two pages, and it's kind of like a target, and you identify your values where you're sitting at right now for those values, and and ways that you can. Uh, kind of change your life in order to f- better fulfill those values. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you have anything helpful? Um, no, but I, well, I mean, yes, I love Brene Brown. She's got multiple books um, and uh, I've read most of them. They're, they're fantastic, but I, we can probably link some resources in. I think it's important, as you can maybe appreciate now that um, we've gone through like the personality test and, and we've talked about the self quite in depth and in quite a philosophical degree, how personality tests can't really give you the absolute complexity of who you are. They can't encapsulate They you. don't encapsulate you. I mean, we've just had this really in-depth conversation about what the self is and, you know... And when you think about like a quick test that you can do in 15 minutes does not wrap up like who your values are. That's another important thing is like personality tests don't tell you who your val like tell you what your values are. You need to identify them mm-hmm. outside of that. Um, and, and, you know, there are resources that can help you identify your values, but ultimately it comes from within the heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is why you shouldn't use um, a personality test um as an identity confirmer yeah yeah <laughs> is what i'm trying to get at mm. yeah because it ultimately makes your thoughts more rigid rather than fluid and rigid thoughts right when you're stuck in rigid thoughts that's that's negative that's going to lead to negative mental health outcomes yeah uh, yeah as opposed to living by your values and and yeah. uh going with the fluidity of day-to-day life right yeah definitely yeah um all right all righty well we might wrap up but um, we'll link all the stuff that we've talked about below mm-hmm. um, and any other resources we find helpful. And thank you for listening. Um, and uh, tune in next week yeah. with another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Around, so. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've liked this podcast, please like, uh, subscribe or follow and uh suggest some stuff that you'd like us to talk about because you know we're always on the lookout for topics and we're just getting started and please let us know what you think and we'll see you next time